So each of us holds in our hand a two-edged sword. Each of us holds in our hands a two-edged sword. So I'm going to start with a film clip, and I uh, want to give you a little bit of background for this clip. It comes from a movie called The Mission. Some of you may remember this. It was a movie that came out about 30 years ago starring Robert De Niro and Jeremy Irons. And Robert De Niro plays a character named Rodrigo Mendoza, an Argentinian slave trader. His business is to descend into the Argentinian and Paraguayan jungles and round up members of native tribes and sell them to plantation owners. He's a mean and ruthless man, and one particular native group that he is decimating is the Guarni. And it turns out that the Guarni are also served by a Jesuit priest named Father Gabriel who sets up a mission within their community. And at one point, Father Gabriel returns to the city for supplies, and he hears that Roberto Mendoza, the notorious slave trader who has been kidnapping the very people that he's seeking to serve is in prison for having killed his brother in a fit of passion. Mendoza is overwhelmed by his guilt, but, he offered, but the father offers him absolution and invites him to return with him to serve the Guarni, the very people he's been trying to kidnap. And as a part of his penance, Rodrigo insists on binding up all of his tools of trade, all of his tools of war, weapons, armor, sword, etc., into a net that he will then drag with him up to the Guarni mission. This is his burden of guilt. He has to drag this burden behind him on this perilous journey into and over the mountains and across the rivers to the mission, where he finally ascends, the, when he finally ascends the last mountain and reaches the mission, these people for whom he had been making a living, kidnapping and selling, he collapses onto the ground exhausted. He has no idea how he will be received by these people. The Guarni see the enemy of, their, of, their, of theirs panting on the ground with his sack of penance behind him. And that's kind of the backdrop for what you're going to look at right now.
Each of us holds in our hand a two-edged sword, one that can kill and one that can free. That seems to be very much the case in the story that we had read for us just a minute ago. Jesus is in the home of this religious leader, a Pharisee, and he arrives and he's expecting to be at table and to enjoy a nice little evening of hospitality. But into the room comes a person, a woman, who drags with her a very bad reputation. Her sins are very public. She is a prostitute, maybe. Maybe her, she's an adulteress. Maybe she's a cheat. Maybe she's a gossip. Maybe she's greedy. Maybe she's a leper. Maybe she doesn't have the right social skills. Maybe she used the salad fork on the entree. God knows what she is. 
But there she is, and she drags into this room her bag of junk. And everybody knows her junk. And if they don't know her junk, they imagine that they can guess about what her junk is. And it's the guessing that's the fun part. And the room starts to fill with whispers. And they're whispering about this woman who has lugged in her net of baggage. And the Pharisee, the keeper of the law, eyes a knife in the middle of the table. Now, this is not in Luke's account. But he, he notices a knife in the middle of the table. And he picks up the knife. And he goes, as a keeper of the law, to this woman. And he holds the knife knife to her throat and tells her that this is what she, this is the punishment for who she is. This is what she has to pay for dragging that junk in here. And then in another scene that is not in Luke's account, Jesus stands up and asks the Pharisee if he can see her knife, his knife. And the Pharisee hands to Jesus his knife, this two-edged knife, and he holds the knife up to the woman, and instead of taking the blade to her throat, he takes the blade to the rope that was wrapped around her throat. All of that junk, all that baggage, all of that fodder for rumor, Jesus slices the cord and says, your sins are forgiven. Each of us has a hold of that sword. Each of us has a hold of that two-edged sword. And I suppose it's been that way since the beginning of time, since the beginning when Cain and Abel, the two brothers, had their, had their thing, that human beings have this propensity to put ourselves in the judgment seat and to observe with laser focus the shortcomings, the sins, the abnormality, the baggage, the burden of the other, and considered our duty to take the two-edged knife and stick it in just to make sure that that other person doesn't forget who they are or what they've been. And Jesus talks about this over and over again. The woman caught in adultery and the men standing with their stones ready to stone her. The elder son ticked off because the younger prodigal son has come home to his father's embrace. The, the Pharisee looking askance at the tax collector. The bleeding woman rendered unclean by the law. The demoniac chained against his will. The lepers who are held in the ghetto of their disease. Time and time and time again, Jesus takes the knife out of some else's hand and uses it to cut the baggage, to cut the sin, to cut the burden, the guilt, the shame. If there is any issue, Jesus says, of morality in your life that you have to be concerned about, it is the propensity inside of you to see the irregular one in our midst and to use your knife in the wrong way. There is this indomitable force that each of us contend with, to use our knife in the wrong way. So let me switch gears. A week or so ago, I was on an airplane, and I looked across the aisle, and I saw a guy reading Sports Illustrated, and I noticed the cover of Sports Illustrated, and it said, Miracle. Right? There it is, Miracle. And the miracle that it depicted was the almost unbelievable catch by Julian Edelman in the Super Bowl. An amazing catch, of course. The ball bouncing off of legs and arms, and Julian Edelman somehow able to grasp it and hold on to it. And thus the headline, miracle. Not to mention the 25-point comeback, and I was a Falcons fan in that game, but, you know, that's okay. 
And, and we say it's a miracle because, you know, chances are very nil that it will ever happen again. And we say it's a miracle because it's almost as if another force is at work. We say it's a miracle because the odds are against uh, it happening again. We use this word miracle very liberally. We call lots of things miracles. Certain healings we call miracles. Certain happenstances of coincidence we call miracles. Certain serendipitous discoveries we call miracles. And we think of these miracles as something that, that just kind of happened to us. It was a miracle that this happened to me. And we become, as a result, very passive agents in this world of the miraculous. And the last thing we might think about is the possibility that we ourselves are agents of the miraculous, that we have this possibility within ourselves to be the conduit of the miraculous. And the last thing we might think about is the possibility that we are agents of the miraculous. Because the truth of the matter is, the greatest miracle of all, at least the greatest miracle that Jesus talked about over and over again, is the miracle that is going on inside of us, this miracle that is happening in us, and it's the miracle of grace. The good news has been spoken to us. The seed of the kingdom has been planted within us. The blessing has been stowed upon us, and it's this almost unbelievable reality that you and I have been forgiven, that the power that God gives us is the power of love, that as much baggage as we have to carry, as much junk as we lug around, as much shame as we want to invite upon ourselves, the miracle is that God's love is unconditional. He forgives our sin, cuts the cord, sets us free. That's the miracle that is already happening in us. We may not know it. We may not even believe it. But that is the truth of our relationship with God. We have been cut loose to live again. Nothing, not even our baggage, can separate us, Paul says, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, that's the first half of the miracle. The second half of the miracle is that Jesus hands us the knife and says, you are free to do with it whatever you want. He hands us the knife and says, but you know, you have the power, you have the grace, you have the freedom. You may have every reason in your mind not to set someone free. You may have every justification not to let them be forgiven, but there is this miracle that is already operative for you, and now you have the power and the freedom and the grace, and the knife is in your hands to perform a miracle. Paul Turnier, the Swiss doctor of a few decades ago, insisted that, who insisted that the ultimate healing came through both body and spirit, was asked once about a friend who had been found in a moral failing, a public moral failing. Everybody knew about this guy's moral failing. And so the good doctor was asked about his responsibility. What responsibility did he have to his friend who had done this awful thing? And Turnier said, well, first, I cannot approve of his action. It is a disobedience of God, it should, and I would be betraying my belief if I led him to believe otherwise. But I know that his disobedience is no worse than the slander, the lie, the gesture of which I am guilty every day. The circumstances of our life are very different, but the reality of our hearts is the same. And if I were in his place, maybe I'd do the very same thing. But at least, if I were in his place, I would know that I would be desperate for a friend who loved me unreservedly, just as I am. 
And who would trust, and who would trust me without judging me? He would need my affection all the more because of what he had done. Each of us, you see, has this two-edged knife, and the miracle, the miracle comes when we choose to use it the right way. John Hurt, the British actor, died a couple of weeks ago, and when I heard the news, I thought immediately of perhaps his most famous role. John Hurt played the Elephant Man. Some of you have seen the movie or have seen the play The Elephant Man based on the true story of Joseph Merrick, a young child in England who had developed a terrible condition at an early age and left, which left him badly deformed. His head swelled, his facial features almost disappeared, he looked a freak. And with this condition came his being ostracized, shunned by almost everybody, no ability to work, and finally out of survival, he sold himself to a circus and took on the persona of the elephant man, a freak show that people could come in in order to stick in the knife. When his show came to London, a certain doctor, Frederick Trevis, came to see him, and instead of horror, instead of ridicule, and instead of a stab of the knife, Dr. Trevis had compassion and brought the elephant man into his care and treated him as Joseph Merrick, human being, and took care of him the rest of his life and used his doctor's scalpel to cut the cord, severing the shame, releasing the prisoner. Paul says to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish a abundantly far more than we could ever ask or imagine. He's saying, in other words, that the miracle is in us. And wouldn't it be interesting as a church, Church of the Palms, if this might turn into a miracle place, if it turned out to be that this was one of those places where we used our knives in the right way, if people would come here to have their nets of burden cut from their shoulders, if people came here and found a group of people who love them just as they are, no judgment, no fear, no stabs in the back, just the most loving place in town with that miraculous power of grace at work within us, able to accomplish abundantly far more than we could ever ask or think. We make our commitments next week, our stewardship commitments for this ministry year, and can I be honest with you, I think this world needs a lot more miracles. I think our divisive and angry world needs a lot more miracle places. A good turn of the knife. If ever there was a time to be radical in our giving, it's now. It's now. The world won't change with just our kind of, huh? It changes with miraculous generosity and grace. Just ask John Newton, who would have believed that the hymn that Chris is about ready to lead us in, who would believe that the hymn we're about to sing was written by a slave trader, a slave trader, par excellence, self-described infidel, despicable practitioner of human trafficking, a lifetime of dragging people from their homes and selling them to human bondage. But someone somewhere along the way took a knife to John Newton and used it the right way. And the miracle occurred, the baggage was released, the burden gone, and in its stead, 
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. This is the miracle inside of us. And this can be the miracle from you to someone else. Amen.